0: Hi, editing Alexis here. Um there was a problem with Alexis Yoda track this episode and unfortunately I wasn't able to properly fix it. Uh, this should be good for next episode though. Um have a good listen.
1: No. You, no, 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 you can't Pam, okay? Go lie down. I mean, we we could use a guest. Yeah, but she's not going to make any noise. <laughs> She's just going to stare at me. Okay, right. So let's um, let's get going. I've done all the transitions. I've got it all ready. So, yeah, here we go. Uh, You guys ready? Yeah. All right, then let's just... Hello and welcome to The Last Standee, a board game podcast coming to you from three exciting countries across Europe. I'm joined here today by Alexis. From Belgium. Hello. And Alessio. Hello, everyone. And I'm your host, Fen. Uh This is the first episode of 2022, so um, I hope you've had a very nice uh, Christmas or holiday break, or whatever you're doing, and you're not working too hard at the start of the year because, I mean, who wants to start a new year off with hard work? That's <laughs> it's a bad trend for the year, so take it easy and don't overwork yourself because somebody else will.
0: A Happy New Year to everybody.
1: hmm <laughs> Yep. Yeah. Um, during this episode, we're going to talk about Nemo's War, the North Sea Trilogy, and Hasbro's reprint of Hero Quest. But first, during the period we've been off on break, there's been a number of interesting events, so we're just going to start with a little dip into some of the major news points. Uh, the first one, uh, which has caused a lot of controversy at this point and i don't know what's going to happen in the end is kickstarter announcing that they're going to go into uh, a blockchain version of the platform um i am so tired <laughs> Yeah, uh, come on simon doing this and uh, red rider games talking about nfts and of course adam poots games disastrously trying to do an nft and walking back on it which That that was a good move walking back on it. It's all like it's very clear that the board gaming community is not interested in blockchain, NFTs and crypto at all. And they they don't want that. Um, It's a big, complicated subject. I would recommend uh, watching Shelf Stories uh, with the Jeff Engelstein episode. He goes through a lot of things. He talks about some positives and negatives and even gives a position where he lands on everything. It's a pretty good start, but there's a lot there. Speaking of things that uh, people weren't really asking for, Magic Arena has had a major um, mess-up where they released a new digital-only format called Alchemy, which effectively is them saying we want to be Rune Terror or Hearthstone, Um, and uh, they put up a load of new updated nerfed cards up there with cards people were sick and fed up of, and they were like hey, you can play this format where these new cards are not very powerful. Then they revealed about 22 or something new cards that were also going to be an alchemy and they're all ridiculous oh fan
0: i just realized something (laughs) magic is definitely going to go with nfts at
1: some point this year yeah (laughs) well they don't really need to because they print secret layers which are like physical nfts they're not quite nfts but they're limited edition we hasbro wizards of the coast might do but um i i just like maybe they'll do Arena NFTs, but maybe not because the community has been very responsive to this and not in a good way. Because what happened is these new updated cards and nerfs also gone into um, Arena's eternal format, which is called Historic. Now, previously, you could almost play Historic on paper if you wanted to and people like that. But now the nerfed cards for Standard have been changed in Historic, and they were fine as they were in Historic, and people's decks have been completely destroyed. Like, I, I, I'm a Historic player because I can't keep up with Standard. It's too expensive. I can just about manage to keep up with Historic. I just got on top of Summer's releases now, at the end of the year, and they've released all of these rares, and they are bonkers, and they're crazy, and they've also nerfed cards I was relying on, and I can't play. I can't even play Historic Brawl where you need one of each without being overpowered and blown out by some crazy stuff. So it's a, it's a weird time. People have uninstalled. Uh, people are complaining constantly. Wizards be, at this point when we're recording haven't made any official announcement on what they're going to do about it. Basically, people are like, Alchemy as a format's okay, but why did you do this to Historic? And what the hell are you going to do about it? And what are you are going to do about the fact that this game was really expensive to play anyway? If you want it to be... Competing with Hearthstone and especially Rune Terror, you need to do something about the economy. So it should be fun to see where we go with that. Um, you know, Wizards have don't really have a great track record in this kind of stuff, but we'll see. Yeah. Um, on to two more subjects of news which I think are a bit more positive. The first one is that Asmodee, which was floated for sale recently, has been bought by the Embracer Group, which is a bit of a surprise. So anyone who's not familiar with who the Embracer Group is, they are a Swedish based company that you may be familiar with the name THQ Nordic or Nordic Games. And they're massive, like in Sweden, video gaming, board gaming are actually big things because it's so dark for so much of the year that it's nice to have something you can do indoors in the evening because you don't really want to be outside too much. Um, and I- I'm actually excited about this. I-, I know Asmodee, I'm not thrilled with the way they were ha- behaving before, but I think a lot of that was the old pump and dump strategy, you know, uh, like the, the equity group holding it were try they were gutting things trying to make the everything as desirable as possible and just kind of like looking to get it offloaded um embracer group have a record of caring about their products and there's some fun things in here uh just just first of all embracer group includes uh coffee stain studios and ghost ship games who do deep rock galactic there's a board game coming out from them soon um, so that's like really cool also, Embracer Group own Gearbox, and Gearbox yeah. Gearbox is Gears of War, if I remember correctly, am I right? Gearbox is Borderlands. And Borderlands, yes. Uh, Gearbox is Borderlands, yes, that's it. Um, and that opens a whole lot of potential for other licensing things. But most of all, I really feel that Embracer Group tend to care about making stuff and this is a move where they've gone we want to do board games this is an easy way for us to get a whole big load of licenses and and established designers and distributors boom job done and and i think this is them stepping into the arena so it could be exciting times it could be terrifying as well but I, i think though if um if if embracer group are looking to grow asmodee which seems to be that's the reason you'd buy something like this if you're not an equity firm, which they're not. Then um, I think we're going to see maybe some good stuff. I'm going to be optimistic about it. Oh, I have uh, good news about
2: uh, crowdfunding, uh, the, the good version uh, too. <laughs> it looks like GameFound has, uh, has set up uh, a way to have uh, all kind of publishers pay their VAT in advance. So they offer instruments with pre-calculated VAT and a lot of uh, tools and stuff to manage uh, within the pledges instead of adding it to shipping and stuff. Mm-hmm. That's pretty good.
1: Yeah, that is good.
2: They are really competing to be the only alternative in this year.
1: Yep, yep. I mean, well, we're going to talk about one of the other alternatives as well a bit later. But uh, it's it's good news. I. Do very much want Gamefound to um, provide us with a nice alternative that doesn't feel too bad to be supporting.
2: Yeah. In the meantime, I don't know if we need to mention the brawl is happening at
0: Alexis' place. Mm. Yeah. Uh, oh, you, you, you can hear the the sound. They should be cut by by uh, by the time this goes up.
1: No, you cut this uh-huh. <laughs> cut it cut just, it all cut it all you just sound
0: <laughs> extremely uh, strange that you refer to noise that do not exist
1: yeah I think you might want to speak with a doctor maybe you're hearing stuff uh-huh. that isn't there Alessio that's yeah. weird <laughs> no I think that's work okay I'm sure i I think you are. I think you are. Um, let's end though with oh. a really cool note, which is that I believe by the time this airs, Cora Quest will be in people's hands, which is like, yes. hooray! That was that was a nice project, and I'm really looking forward to having getting my hands on it.
2: Yeah, we we, we probably uh, we are having it now, even if we don't have it now. So cool! It's the one computer
0: pledge. Yes, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Going to be great. I am looking forward to that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, uh, so with the news to one side, let's get into the standy up What have you been up to, Alessio? Oh, a couple of things, actually. Brian Boru,
2: mostly. He, I received uh, the game, it's the new Pierce Investor game, and uh, well, uh, it uh, will very well deserve uh, his, its own review. But all I can say is that uh, it's a good trick-taking game. It's very good. It's like a trick-taking version of The King is Dead, but without the teamwork. So it's uh, it's a very cool game. I played, like, eight games, uh, three of them in the same day, and I am hooked. It's very, very good.
1: Yeah, yeah but I've heard very good things about it, and I appreciate the... Uh... The goals to keep it very um, Irish and very sort of t- true to characters from the period, which is always nice. Yeah, looks like uh, very historically
2: accurate. Even it's not just uh, pretty Irish. Even the the the, the 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 Danish names of the Viking invaders, like Estrid, are kept in their original tongue language. So. It's pretty cool. It's uh, pretty accurate. And that's one of the two things I'm doing, because the other one is that uh, there's actually a Let's Play of all games for Nintendo Switch, since we talked about four of the, uh, this game. There's more Landing, there's Spike Cat, this goes to New York, there's Startups, uh, and the game costs uh, like $20, and that's all. And as online play and pass-and-play, or not sit. Uh, I bought it. I have to say, <laughs> it's a hit. Uh, my kids love fake artists goes to New York, so it's a very, very good uh, thing. Also, because it's Nintendo Switch, so it's localized. I, I really have it as a recommendation. Of course, this depends on the number of players you can find on online play. But if you have friends and you uh, and you want to try these online games, this is another way to test them
1: yeah but let's just be honest here if you listen to this podcast and you've not bought a fake artist goes to new york startups and insider you need to get on that seriously <laughs> like the oink games can vary but those three are some of the best board games you can play and they cover a bunch of different experiences so yeah startups is complicated so i advise to play with to experienced experience
2: of people but fake artist is very very good I have to say, it can be played even without the assets, but it's a lot of cool if you buy it, so (laughs) that's cool. And also, there's a third thing, I think that this year, since my box of chaos in the old world is basically falling apart, I think I'll deluxify it by printing and getting stuff. I'll probably record what I'll be doing because this will be my pet project for 2022. Wonderful. Yeah, you know, that's uh, a young Eric Lang with the Games Workshop. It, it has to be with actually Fantasy Flight, of course, but uh, with Games Workshop's IP, and it's a very, very cool game, one where you can see the chaos played in a smart way, so it deserves the
1: Deluxify treatment. Yeah, it's a very old game at this point, and it's very expensive. And that's me. Yeah, it's very expensive. I think that...
2: uh, I I never had
1: the Horned
2: Rat expansion. I see it sold for 2000
1: For $200. Yeah, I was going to say, if you don't have the Horned Rat edition, it's not worth as much. Yeah, it's not worth it. Uh, There...
2: Truth to be told, there are dark corners in the internet when you can where you can get the, just the cards for the old gods and maybe worth it. But just for the fifth player, it's not worth it, probably. But that's me, that's the beginning of the year. And what have you been up
0: to, Alexis? What have I been up to? Um, well, I just started my, um, uh, my new job, so I've been uh, very busy with that those, uh, those, past, few, um, those past few weeks. Um, other than that, I've not been playing that much, uh, that many um, uh, board game. I played uh, what's the name uh, the name of it. The I, I played a very fun party game with my fa- uh, with my family recently, where you had to. Um, uh, it's one of those uh, those fast game where you have to mime the cards that you are given, and uh, as the rounds goes on, people know the worlds that are going around, and they like it. It gets harder and harder to to guess which one are, are coming um i'll find the name mm. of the the game and i'll i'll put it Oh, in. that's pretty cool yeah <laughs> no it it's very good it basically the for the first one you have to describe it without using the word yeah on the is it, yeah
1: monikers isn't it monikers um
0: sure. maybe the problem is that i played it in french so sort of, i had the french title uh, yep I forgot Mon- the French titles.
1: Monikers so. is first round clue givers can give whatever yeah, they want. Second the round one. they can only say one word, and third round they can only use gestures and yeah. charades.
0: Extremely fun with ten people.
1: Yeah, yeah, but, yeah. Shut Up and Sit Down did a their own like expansion edition to it, so yes, it's a it's, it's, it's a good game.
0: It was very good, uh, and I also received uh, Unbroken today, so I'll be finally able to play this um, after <laughs> yeah after a long time waiting for it. But I'm I'm pretty happy. Uh, and I I wish Artem all the best with his, his next his next la uh, next game, hoping that uh, it won't be with um, Golden Bell. Now for very gossipy news, uh, if people liked uh, Kickstarter Trainwreck, I'd recommend them to have a look at the Demon City Kickstarter. Uh, they've been telling for people for two years that this RPG book was almost done and recently the main writer went off his rockers and started telling people to sign affidavits if they believed that they had lied. Uh, following that the Kickstarter creators had to put out an update telling people not to sign legal documents from their main writer uh, while the guy is still in the comments being a dick and telling people to sign affidavits. Uh, it's very funny to look at.
2: Also, I decided that for 2022, I will correct all your Latin uh, all your Latin nouns. So it's not agricola, it's agricola. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. not affidavit, it's a, it's an affidavit. Ah, you can, could, yeah. well,
1: we, we do pronounce it agricola, anyway. Um, agricola. Yeah, I, I don't know anyone who pronounces agricola who's I, from Europe. I, I gra-cola? I gra-cola? Agricola?
0: Yeah. Yeah, agricola?
1: Agricola. Yeah, agricola. Yeah, agricola. Agricola Agricola Angry Cola <laughs> Angry Cola no! yes. Angry Cola we got it we got it there we <laughs> Angry go Angry Cola um,
0: what about you uh, fan how have you been uh,
1: i have been i've been fine well uh, i'm not going to go through what i've been doing because we're talking about what i've been doing it's ah. these three games here um although i did get the solitaire mode for concordia and i haven't been able to touch it because i've been oh. too busy so yeah that's that's basically it on my part is we'll talk about what I've been doing. Well, uh, wonderful. yeah. And so s-
0: speaking of solitaire game,
1: Mm-hmm. we're going to go take ourselves far away beneath the surfaces of the ocean on a journey with the public domain hero and one of my favorites um, of all of the <laughs> these heroes that fall in the public domain with uh, Captain Nemo. So do Alexis tell us all about this uh, solo extravaganza <laughs> that is Nemo's war by Chris Taylor
0: yes um so nemo's war is an amazing adventure game uh coming from victory point game uh it sets the player as captain nemo at the hand uh, at the head of the nautilus uh one of the interesting aspects of the game is that you can play it with four different objectives uh that will weight the victory condition differently so even if you play the game a lot there will always be very a lot of uh, different uh, a lot of different versions that you're going to play uh, it. The four different victory conditions are either science, exploration, uh, war, or anti imperialism. And I just, as a little aside, uh, Joel Verne has always had uh, been quite outspoken about um, his, his distaste for imperialism, even though a lot of exploration do deal with uh, colonialism and all of that. But uh, it, he always described uh, described it as a source of uh, brutality and injustice. Um, for example, in in uh, I think that that exact quote comes from uh, Two Thousand Miles Under the Sea. Uh, and I I kind of have to to commend the game for like not shying away from that legacy and going full on. Like uh, one of the victory uh, story of the game is to basically uh, free the people that the um, uh, British government has. Uh, Uh, is exploiting around the world. I think that's a pretty, pretty fun idea for a game like this. Uh, But how the game is played? Well, the game's main mechanics are a mixture of uh, action point management and area management. Uh, Every turn, new ships are going to uh, to, uh, pop up around the map and you have if at any point there's too many uh, ships from the British government that are hunting you, you will lose. So you need to travel around the Seven Seas trying to explore, collect treasure, go on adventure, and uh, uh, draw on those ships. Uh, how, how do you say it in the n- nautical term? I'm ah, friendly with David here. The stories are and adventures are presented by little story cards with die-roll tests to, to make. Uh, and one of the best thing about the game is its risk management mechanic, as you can, uh, as you have three different uh, quote-unquote life bar, one of them for your ship's um, general mechanical health, one of them for the crew's morale, and one of them for Captain Nemo's sanity. Uh, And you can, when going on those little adventures, you can um, risk some of those aspects and uh, risk taking damage to them uh, in exchange for a uh, better dice roll. Uh, it's quite fun. Uh, alongside the way, you unlock different technological upgrades for the Nautilus that are randomly decided at the start of the game, so it makes the game extremely different uh, as you play along. Uh, the game is supposedly a one to four player cooperative game, but I have never seen the point of playing it with more than two player, and even two player is it's not that um, good as a two-player game because the rules are basically uh, one player handles the movement and the card reading, and the other handles the dice roll and the upgrade selection. And mm. it's supposed to be a little bit of a, oh, you are the first mate, and that uh, player is the captain, and you you have like different responsibility around the ship. It's a little yeah. bit like um, uh, Captain Sona,
1: I guess. Mm-hmm. Yep, a little bit. But there's um, there's some good news on that front. If, if i'm not sure if you're aware
0: but uh, there uh, was there... a starter yes
1: yep recently. yep and landing this year or get kickstarted this year is the journey's end expansion which is going to amongst everything else include an official two-player variant to address people's concerns i've not followed it too much but uh that's that's very very good to know uh but
0: as it stands the, the base game and the, the second edition one that i that i own is very much a solo game in spirit that you can enjoy with some friends. Uh, overall, I think it's one of the best solo games that I've played. Uh, the feeling of exploration is great and the mechanics are just really interesting. It feels really fleshed out. It's not the kind of game that you can uh, bring alongside with you while you go on vacation because it's quite big and it's it's maybe a little bit too uh intensive for that for that kind of stuff it's not the the kind of game that you can just grab in your bag but uh as a solo game it's it's really it's stellar and i would recommend anybody interested with a solo game or or, uh cooperative games to to grab it uh and uh i'm pretty sure that uh fan you played a lot of it right
1: i've played a reasonable amount of it yeah i've got even got one of the expansions which i managed to get my hands on the nautilus upgrades expansion pack which just gives you some more options on how to upgrade the nautilus yeah uh first of all i I just gotta say you know tools art is fantastic it always is but it's really good and you can definitely see that he had a hand in helping make the second edition legible and and easier to follow and also i super appreciate that they that the artwork shows the captain nemo uh, clearly of east indian descent because that's who he was uh revealed to be, you know, he's very mysterious in the first book, but in Mysterious Island uh, he's said to be the son of an East Indian Raj. Yeah. So yeah. it's great that they've kept that in there, and I, I love the anti-colonialism in this. Um, I, I Anything that allows me to uh, go up against English colonialism is something I'm all for. Yeah, yeah.
2: Let, let's also remember that the first two were are uh, correctly, a depiction of Captain Alan Moore with the League of of Extraordinary Gentlemen, where he was clearly of East Indian descent.
0: Yes, that's true. (laughs)
2: Yeah, (laughs) that was just a historical note. I I played uh, Nemos War, just uh, the first edition on a tabletop simulator mod, which is not uh, online anymore because I failed to get a print, so I'll probably get a late pledge or a game steward pledge from. For this uh, new edition, because I, I've always been interested in Nemo's War, so that's all I can contribute to it. Well,
1: the second edition's available for purchase at the moment. The Kickstarter was um, to add some extra stuff, I believe, or maybe reprint yep. it. But I've, uh, I've I had think this it was reprint
0: while. stuff, and they added like those. Uh, I think that they added all the expansion immediately in the big box. I'm not sure that I would need yeah. to check.
2: Yeah, I was checking the levels, it, it looks like that, uh, I'm not expert in that, so I cannot be completely sure. But about expansion, what do you
0: recommend about that? Um, Well, okay. the expansions are all sort of um, smallish. They add new upgrades, they add new adventures, and I think that one of them adds new character. I would need to, to look at it because I, I had the game with the expansion immediately, so I didn't play mm. it without them. Uh, but yeah. from what I've seen, it's just more content. If you it, already it like uh, Nameless Wall, you just you just have a little bit more of it.
1: Yeah, they're all very small. Um, one of them adds like two adventure cards. It's called Holidays on the High Seas. Uh, it's just very fluffy. Um, one of them is Dramatis Personnel, which gives you like ten additional cards. There's a, a nine new adventure cards and a, a finale card. The new finale is probably the biggest. Like element of that uh, the bold and caring one which um, ew, like gives uh, I've not played with it so I don't really want to sit here and just read the text off um, now I think about it but and then there's the one I have which is the Nautilus upgrades which is all of them are kind of not really needed which is good that's what they should be like but i do think maybe this journey's end one is going to going to be pretty desirable for people who want to play this two player
0: cool so yeah a very very good game
1: it's just super clever uh i really enjoy the fact that all of the ships are um historical ships uh if i remember correctly and the way that they ratchet up the pressure where you kind of feel like oh it's all right it's all right and then suddenly around the third act you just it's it's all heck has broken loose and you've really got to push hard and especially if you're not playing like a war um orientated captain nemo it can be very sort of like oh the ships are building up but i'm not really interested in that that's not what i'm wanting to do but i kind of have to manage this
0: yeah Um, managing the different uh Basically, pressure that's, that's coming as the game goes on is, is very important, and I think very clever
1: in the way that it, uh, it does, how it goes. Yeah, it's a very smart game.
0: The one thing that I've always felt was a little bit disappointing, and maybe, maybe you'll have a different opinion there, uh, is that at the end of the game, you have a score, and you basically need to um, compare your score with a, a thing that tells you uh, how well you did, and you can still technically lose if you get to the end but just don't have a good enough score because you 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 didn't uh focused on your objective enough i i feel for solo game it's always needed but it always feels a bit uh disappointing that's the the way that it's handled um but i think that the journey to the end is what what makes the game fun so
1: yeah yeah that's what i think as well i mean you've got a gigantic book of epilogues and you know they got uh defeat failure and inconsequential and success and triumph as your different options for each one they have a gigantic rather nice illustration you know um sketched sort of crosshatch style that fits the theme of book the the books of the time um it's fine it's i i think with Nemo's war it's very much more the journey that makes the big the big impact and you just have something there at the end to gauge this is how well I've done um, and really let's face it this is the kind of game where in truth you're just trying to do better than you did last time you would be like okay I'm going to play I'm going to play explore again and I'm going to score better than I did previously so I, I, they don't really bother me too much they could have just not been there but it is something to focus on as a little to to the story and the character
0: um all right. Well, a wonderful game for for people to to focus on.
1: Mm, yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, what, a very good solo game. I think we did bring it yeah, up. Yeah, we in mentioned
0: the... it during the um, the thing.
1: I don't remember. This number. Yeah. I think it was so- somewhere
0: above the the thirty. Uh, the top thirty. Um, hey,
1: I remember it being relatively high. I can't remember exactly when. And I have f- I-, I failed in my research to find the exact number because I forgot until we started recording to check. But um, from <laughs> under the ocean, we're now going to move on top of the Scandinavian seas and travel back, far, far back with the North Sea trilogy from Shem Phillips, uh, a name who we did talk about in the previous podcast as well. So, yeah. I'm talking about this because I actually want to talk about the West, West Kingdom trilogy, but uh-huh. I don't think I can do that without talking about the North Sea trilogy. So
2: Your second favorite
1: coming up point. Mm, so <laughs> basically this is part of what I've been calling the Windrose trilogy because it's compass points and the North Sea is the first trilogy. And then the, um, sorry, did I say? quadrology sorry the Windrose quadrology so the north sea is the first um like point on the compass and the west kingdom is the second point and it's been announced that we're going to see south tigris for the third and then um there's going to be east for the fourth so every single one of these is three games sometimes with expansions Uh, yeah yeah each one of these is three games with uh, then like a, uh, a an overarching mini game stuck on top if you want to play all of them. Um, and the North Sea is sort of the first lot. Now, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to talk in massive detail about all three, uh, and there's going to be a reason for that. But um, first one up is Shipwrights of the North Sea, and this is a card drafting game where you are constructing ships you have a little player board there's a deck of cards in the middle you and everyone will like draw from a number that have been picked draft from a number that have been drawn even um and go around the table it's it's not great to be honest it's okay it's fine but there are better drafting games and the biggest problem is the way the drafting system is is operated being the first person to pick in a draft is always really strong and Everyone's drafting from one card, and so is a one one pack. So, as a consequence, if you're the last person picking, you sometimes have to take a card that does nothing to help your strategy whatsoever, which is not great. Um, yeah, yeah, uh,
2: con- considering that's all that's about uh, drafting games. <laughs> I love the draft mechanic, it, I think it's, it's something which makes everything strategic and compelling, so
1: it's not pretty the downside of this one. Yeah, it's it's quite an issue. So, people house rule the drafting in various different ways. I mean, there's been a lot of different draft methods that have been put out there. Uh, The second edition, which is the one I have, uh, tries to solve this by adding in the Townsfolk (laughs) expansion as a, a permanent thing. It gives players extra options that they can do stuff with by visiting this Townsfolk board and doing things. It helps a bit. But ultimately, this is—it's clearly a, a game from a relatively inexperienced designer at the time, and uh, I wouldn't own it if it wasn't for the fact that I'm reviewing it and the fact that it's part of the Rune Saga. So it's fine. Um, I'd say like it's between a six and a seven out of ten as games go. Like it's not like you're gonna hate it, but you might feel frustrated at times and not feel like you're doing anything, which is one of the worst experiences in a board game. Then. I'm going to jump to the third one. I, I, I'm on. sorry for interrupting you just for a second, but I just
0: received my uh, my confirmation of shipment for Kara Quest, so this is happening.
1: Ooh, right now? Okay. Yeah, right now. Now you've timed. <laughs> now. Uh, mm.
0: um, yeah. Now, yes, now you've
1: sorry. now you've really timestamped the recording, haven't you? <laughs> yeah. Um, now, now believe this. So uh now I'm, I'm going to jump past the second game and go to the third game, which is Explorers of the North Sea, and it has an expansion called Rocks of Ruin. It's a pick up and deliver game where you would also do tile laying, and it's kind of cute. Uh you, You'll like pick from a number of hexagonal tiles, and you'll build up this little seascape. You have to follow rules to construct the islands correctly. You'll populate the islands with various animals and maybe settlements, and you'll also be controlling a boat. And some Vikings that you're going out, you're collecting the animals, taking them back to the mainland, which is a set collecting game. You want different, varied animals, not all the same, because Vikings don't care about breeding their animals. They care about putting them on show and going, this is my cow. This is my pig. Uh-huh. This is my chicken. This is my goose. This is my donkey. This is my wife.
0: I really so, like the, the look of the uh, of this game. Yeah. Way more than the shipwright one.
1: I think. Yeah, it, it looks nice. And it's, it's kind of fun to play. Um it's very tight. So you are at this point where um, you have to be very careful. You've got a limited number of actions. You have to think about what you're doing. And also, when you get to play it a fair bit, other players are messing with you by screwing up the islands you're trying to complete. Because there's points for uh, settling an island, but you can only do that if the island is fully uh, complete on the board. So... It's sort of got a bit of that going on. There's points of conquering settlements and you'll have a character who specifically cares about certain things. Um, It's fine. It, it is fine. Uh, and again, it's not super, super exciting, but I think it's a better time than shipwrights. The Rocks of Ruin expansion adds more stuff and definitely improves it, um, which is a bit a little tough to be like, yeah, Explorers is okay. If you get Rocks of Ruin, it's a lot better. Um, but again, it's not not the exciting part of this trilogy. So the exciting part, oddly, is of, the middle one.
0: Of course, you really like the part where uh, you get to uh, steal stuff from the English.
1: Um, <laughs> it, it's it's not really clear who you are, but yeah, maybe maybe it is the English. I guess it's the North Sea. Yeah, you're right, Raiders of the North Sea. You, so you uh, appropriate stuff. I, <laughs> no no this is a scandinavians appropriating (laughs) Yeah. um right so raiders of the north sea is the worker placement game of the trilogy and it's got some really interesting mechanics now there is an app version of this only contains the core game the app is pretty well done it's got a fun little campaign that mixes the rules up and changes how everything's playing so i could recommend that it's on steam i think it may be on phones as well i'm not sure i only played it on steam but the concept of raiders is you've got a worker placement board at the bottom half and at the top you've got another worker placement board but you're going to be attacking those spots so on your turn it's very simple. You take one of your work, your worker, sorry, your one little Viking worker, and you put them on one of the empty spaces on the board, and you do the thing—classic worker placement. Then you go to one of the pre, the occupied spaces that you haven't been on already. You take the worker off that space, and you do the thing. So the board, the game cunningly like locks off combos. At any given time, half of the things are occupied and half of them aren't. So you've got to figure out. It's like, oh, well, I really want to uh, get some money to recruit, but I can't get money to recruit and recruit in the same turn because both those spaces are empty. So I'm going to have to find something else to do. It reduces um, player decision space in an interesting manner. It forces you to be creative. And it also gets rid of, you know, that phase where it's like, and now it's time to have everyone to pick up all their workers off the board at the end of the round. No, because they're constantly cycling and you're only ever like picking one worker to go to one place to do one thing. That's quite good. It is. It's very That's good. Massive, yeah. Yeah. Um, there's even more stuff with the workers. We'll talk about it in a moment. But the other half of like the village section um, is your cards, So cards represent like crew members, people in the village, and you've got two things you can do with them. You can either go and you've got to draw them from one location on the board. You'll have a few to start with. And you can either spend money to recruit them to your ship so they can go out raiding and they'll have a strength and like an ability when they're a member of your crew. Or you can go to one place where you use them for their ability and you just discard them and get the ability for example the gate guard lets you draw three new cards which is better than visiting the gate where you'd normally only get two cards you know you, you can filter away the gate guard and get a replacement plus two more even if the location the gate guards like you couldn't go to it this turn um and that's really sweet because all these characters have different things they do like the grave digger he's rubbish at raiding he's got zero strength he's like oh, garbage uh, at it I, I just received the package i'll be all back. Okay, Continue. Yep. so the the um, gravedigger is like garbage at raiding, uh, but you want to send him out there because if he dies, you get a piece of gold, and gold's like a very rare, valuable resource that you can do stuff with. And that's the other, like the rest of the board at the top section has all these locations, and they're harbors and monasteries and fortresses, and you can't go out and raid them unless you have the uh, sufficient characters in your boat and enough provisions for the journey. And each location will vary. So One location might want three people, one provision, and another will be like, two people's fine, but you need three provisions for this. Or even further up, you have to spend gold to get to those locations. And when you attack them, you'll take resources from a little worker placement location that you've put your worker in, um, and then that worker token's lost. And instead, you take the worker token that's in the space for your next turn and these are different colors so you might go to a place and you go all right i get a cow a rock a gold one of my vikings dies and i get a silver worker and the death vikings great you have to discard one of your cards from your raid and they're gone and like the gravedigger might trigger an ability but they're also worth points at the end of the game like vikings like to go to valhalla and everyone celebrates that Woo! um yeah I played
2: the version, I used to say, Valhalla and the fact that the worker uh, moves and takes two actions is the
1: best part of the game. Yeah, it's, it's really clever in that you spend the time building up this crew and then you look at the locations, you go, okay, well, I go there and some of my guys are going to die. No matter how strong they are at fighting, they're going to die. So I want to think about who I'm losing. And there's even some characters who they're terrible at fighting, but you want them for the end of the game. So you're like, okay, well, when do I put this one on my in my crew to get the bonus at the end of the game? And when do I just kind of like hold on to it? Or should I just sacrifice that person and be fine with it? Um, but yeah, you'll come back from the raid and you'll have this new different worker, like a silver one or maybe a white one. I came and... back from the raid. Mm, <laughs> yes, indeed. You come back with a package. Brilliant. Uh, and so you've got all your... <laughs> your resources that you brought back with the raid cows and all of that kind of stuff and gold and you can trade those in for points at the longhouse, and points mean prizes um but also the workers now have a different value in some of the locations you you got, can't go to some spaces without having a silver or a white and in other spaces you get bonuses for putting a silver or white there or you get worse, like silver and white workers generate less money than black ones. So gradually the game sort of changes to this position where you're like, OK, well, if I put this worker down here, this makes this location not as good. And that's fine by me. Maybe no one will pick it. And then I can grab that worker again and I can go further up the board towards the fortresses where I need them to get there. It's it's really interesting how you start off not really doing much kind of floundering a little bit around like, Oh, this feels very slow. And then suddenly everything's going, you've got combos running and it's really just super interesting. So I I like it. I think as a worker placement game, it does a good job of cutting down analysis paralysis and it reduces its upkeep. And it, it has some interesting like prices of like trading resources trading your crew for victory points but then you need to rebuild your crew for the next thing and i haven't even covered because i'm trying to be relatively brief um all sorts of interesting things like you attack the bigger places further up and you if you get a certain amount of crew size strength you'll get bonus victory points it's all very nicely done there's two expansions um i've only played a bit with the one that gives, like, there's an, a board sits on the side and gives you access to attacking some Jarls or something, some like chieftain type characters and you can, I think, defeat them or recruit them. Um, and then there's another board that sits at the bottom and provides a mead house and it gives you extra places to recruit more people by charming them and they might arrive with some resources and it can give you quests so you go back to a place that's already been raided and do more stuff so they're great and honestly it's like the gem of this trilogy it's definitely the best one it's the meatiest game it's a good worker placement game it stands on its own really nicely um unfortunately the box that i got with all the expansions in is a different size to all the other boxes so <laughs> putting it on the shelf is a bit of a mess <laughs> um and then just to wrap it up you can get Rune Saga which is it adds like a bunch of runes to each of the games. You play them in order, so you'll play shipwrights and there'll be these runes for extra objectives. You achieve them, you get the runes. You win, you get a rune. You, you closely come second place, you get a rune. Uh, they might give you bonuses in the upcoming games to mix things up. A little bit snowbally, but in a good way. It feels fine. Uh, then you'll play raiders, you'll do the same. Then you'll play explorers at the end as a nice little capper for the evening. And boom, person with the most runes is the winner, which is cool.
0: That's very interesting that you can play the game and have more um, like that. All three games fit together. I think that's pretty pretty fun.
1: Yeah, they they thematically fit together. The artwork is wonderful. Uh, is like just such a such a good piece. Uh, there's even. Um, in the Rune Saga, uh, I got given a bunch of um, like postcards, and there's a picture of Shem as a Viking, and one of um, Oh Mikhailio Dimitreski. I my pronunciation is terrible, as usual. I deliberately butcher things these days, or at least I, that's what I pretend. But um, I, I love his art. I, I love like I I'll often talk about how great Ian know art is, but I think the biggest draw for me on this entire series is how good and evocative the artwork is so that is the north sea trilogy um and i think it's i think it's not something you really need but raiders is so good that you might get it play it and be like oh actually i wouldn't mind having the other two games to to have as a whole evening and it works because the uh shipwrights is light enough as a starter that it doesn't take too long to get through and explorers is there's not a huge like thinky game in any of these three so you could play over a i don't know five hour evening or something or afternoon into evening and have a good time and mix things up with three different styles of games so that's the north sea trilogy Uh, Alexis Alessio, do you have anything you'd like to say about it
0: well, I've never played it, so I, I wouldn't know what you start talking about it, but it sounds very interesting. I especially like the fact that you can combine all three games for a full evening of uh, raiding and making boats and forging. Uh, that sounds like a good uh, a good time with the yeah. uh, the Viking games.
1: It, it uh, does. I,
2: I played uh, quite a bit of Raiders of the North Sea because my brother was not just shut up about it, because he loved the game, and, uh, well, I, I, um, I have kind of an ambivalence with uh, worker placement games, because worker placement is kind of a boring mechanic in the fact that it's adopted by basically every game. There are great games with worker placement, uh, and there are bad games with uh, worker placement. Uh, Riders of the North Sea is a peculiar worker placement, because it would be entirely forgettable if it wasn't for actually the the part of uh, picking up the worker and uh, doing both the action from, from where it comes from and where you are going to place it. That is all the difference. Uh, after playing a lot of it, I can say that it will probably won't stay uh, actual, probably fresh fresh for uh, uh, 50 games, but it's a very interesting twist and it's a game you, you should play because uh, after a lot of uh, games, you still think, wow, Red of the North sea. Wow, why not? When there's a new player, you will introduce them to the game. It's relatively fast. It's balanced. You can actually try to build a strong crew You can try to to go and plunder, or if you don't want to go raiding, you can just uh, (laughs) pick the weaklings and just send them to Malala. And both strategies are very pursuable and even interchangeable. So it's a pretty smart game. Uh, It comes from a time when worker placement uh, was still quite boring, so it it is very good, very good for the time and it stands to the test of time right now. Right,
1: so you're simultaneously not recommending it and recommending it. (laughs) Yeah, because it's a worker placement. So it's simultaneously good and simultaneously, well, it will be been there. I think it's a very different worker placement style from anything else. Uh, yeah, I, I, and I think a lot of worker placement games don't have ask you to if you place here, you need to sacrifice a load of your resources. Would you say that it's very different from Agricola? Oh, Agricola, Agricola! It's very different from a Hungry Cola, Yeah, <laughs> it's more forgiving, it's more enjoyable, and it's uh, it's more pleasant. Uh, although I have played more, um, you know, more games of Angry Koala than I have of of. A hungry cola drinker. Yeah. Um, right. Well, that is that for now. But I will be coming back to this series with the West Kingdom stuff in an episode or two's time. Because, oh my goodness, now that is a trilogy of, uh, well, two worker placement and one rondle-ish game. That really just, they, they, they were all in the solo players list. And yes, they are fantastic. But... From, uh, you know, we're going to uh, now get out of the damp and wet and dry our clothes by a dungeon fireplace with the long-awaited nostalgia-driven return of the Milton Bradley Games Workshop classic designed by Stephen Baker. And it's always worth noting that the best thing about this podcast is Hero Quest. <laughs> so, before yeah. I... Ha- yeah. Before I hand it across to Alessio, I do want to briefly just talk a bit about the genetics of this board game and why it is
2: important.
1: <laughs> um, it is a culturally significant game that has mass has had massive impact. So, if you go back in time through board games, eventually you reach um, Dungeons and Dragons, Chainmail, which is kind of like the, the it, it's sort of a board gamey, war gamey style thing, and it's very much I feel the progenitor of this genre. The um, box. Yes. Now, obviously, Dungeons & Dragons goes off and creates role-playing games, and that's a huge, big, massively important field that has just become bigger and bigger and more and more in pop culture, uh, uh, thanks to things like Critical Role. Um, But there's also this little sideline that goes off, and you get um, these, I think it's a Swedish game, uh, which is known as Dungeon Quest in English. Games Workshop published it. And then in 19... 89 um, yep. they the, in the UK all of a sudden everything apparently goes crazy and there's this nuts like insane advert and kids are buying and taking to school and playing with their friends hero quest which is the first of these dungeon crawls and this is what we're going to be talking about because the reprint is pretty faithful um, but hero quest, spawned advanced hero quest from games workshop where they kind of tried to games workshopify it a bit more and get it into selling miniatures that was a bit of a flop but it created Warhammer Quest which was a big success and even to this date people still play original Warhammer Quest and love it it's I do. yeah it's it's a rough game um, in some ways but it's really enjoyable however Warhammer Quest like uh, then spawned a load of other games and we have stuff like Shadows of Brimstone, Dark Darklight, the Direct Descendants, which are the new Silver Tower, and of course, the incredibly good um, Blackstone Fortress. Uh, uh, and oh, we, mm-hmm.
0: there was also the Dungeon and Dragons, the fantasy adventure board game from 2003 uh, mm-hmm. that I played when I was a lot younger. And uh, that, that was the version of Aeroquest Quest that I knew. Yeah,
1: yeah. Um, mm-hmm there's uh, and of course this is what I was trying to get to though the the big one is that the entire complex ai boss battle in genre owes its existence to Warhammer Quest because Kingdom Death is created by somebody who was very clearly a fan of Warhammer Quest and played it a great deal so much so that he baked like direct Warhammer Quest mechanics and references into the game so without Warhammer Quest, we wouldn't have Kingdom Death. Without Kingdom Death, we wouldn't have Oathsworn or Sankakushin or Townsfolk Tussle. Uh, you know, it's like woof. This is that big, and that's even without considering when you go back to Hero Quest and you spin forward a bit in time, you get to this man called Kevin Wilson, who looked at Hero Quest and went, "I can do this," and he made Descent First Edition, which is very clearly. A better version of Hero Quest for the modern crowd, with some fairer mechanics and less like terrifying stuff. And uh, you thousands know, of tokens. yes, thousands of tokens and and all sorts yeah. of bonker stuff. And uh, thanks to Descent, we now have games like Midara and um, uh, Glo- uh, d- yeah. D- thanks to <laughs> Descent, we have Descent. Yes. Um. Okay. <laughs> yeah. I, I was going to say Gloomhaven, very much like. Has that more? Fee- it's definitely from the descent family, although it's skewed off and gone and mated with a euro game to give you this new kind of thing again, which nothing else is quite like Gloomhaven. So we got these all these families, but it all pans back to this one. And well, what can we say? Back in 2020. On Hasbro Pulse, there was announced, hey, we're going to be doing a reprint of Hero Quest." And first of all, you have to be in America to get your hands on it, which uh, this is a British game, and the British people were very upset about that. Um, but thanks to some kind Americans, I've got a copy, and I believe same with uh, you, Alessio. I've yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, $3.7 million was pledged to bring this game back to life. And here it is. So, Alessio, take it away.
2: Okay. So, uh, basically what Ben did was to remove uh, like seven minutes of my own intervention. Because <laughs> I, I was planning to do the same. I'll just add uh, a couple of notes to that. Uh, HeroQuest was basically at the beginning of the life of Games Workshop. Uh, actually, not really at the beginning because they had... Uh, uh, cool games in place uh, back then, but it was an attempt to make the uh, relatively fresh universe of uh, Warhammer fantasy to the to, to, to mainstream. They made an agreement with Milton Bradley, and the the, the fact that uh, Hasbro is now making it is just because they bought Milton Bradley. Uh, the IP was uh, sleeping there for a lot of time. During the 25th anniversary, which is basically five, six years ago, since we are in 2022, clearly, uh, during the 25th anniversary, uh, uh, game Zone Miniatures from Spain tried to get the trademark of the game which was available in uh, Europe, but of course not uh, uh, under US law, because that uh, was still property of Hasbro. And they tried to make a game which was very, very, very similar to HeroQuest, calling it HeroQuest 25th Anniversary, and that uh, did never deliver, actually. I followed, the, I followed the game for a while being hopeful, but uh, it was basically never published. It never delivered. And uh, since Hasbro noticed from there that the game was actually still very, very popular, they decided to, well, since we cannot use Game Workshop's IP because uh, the, the the old world is their copyright, and since uh, we want for sure never return the IP to them because uh, we want to... Uh, we want actually to make money out of it. They decide, they, they finally decided to remove the old word from Euroquest and make it a generic fantasy game, which is the current edition we have now. Uh, basically, uh, this is a difficult thing to talk about because uh, uh, mostly two things. Uh, first is that everyone knows Euroquest. The best thing about Euroquest is uh, actually that it's uh, available. Because uh-huh. everyone, yeah, everyone knows HeroQuest, everyone knows how uh, uh, it plays. So it, you basically have a fixed board with rooms where you can place furnitures and doors and the dungeon changes because you basically close and open corridors, close and open doors, put secret doors and traps and stuff. And you go and fight. You roll dice to move, you roll dice to attack, you roll dice to defend, and you have equipment in the form of cards. For a very, very simple game, you have a quest with an objective, you usually go into the quest, uh, go through the objective, fulfill the objective, which is usually kill something, but could be find something, or return back, or activate something, uh, and go away. And that's basically it. The The, the game is both uh, de- delightfully simple and delightfully entertaining, uh, because you can make thousands of quests. Uh, Advanced HeroQuest was made basically for that because uh, basically allowed to make, uh, to, to extend the game indefinitely. There were a lot of uh, games and resources uh, uh, and websites which made you create your own uh, equipment and pages and quests and quest line and stuff. Uh, that has to be said. Unfortunately, uh, most of them were. Uh, Destroyed by his workshop back then when they basically decided in the early 2000 to protect their
0: IPs. And they, they, they are lost. taking a little bit too much uh, inspiration from their own uh, 40K. Uh,
1: yeah. <laughs> 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 Destroy yeah. the technology. Ta- ta- <laughs> fair not the so there, there was there was definitely a really dark period in Games Workshop around the, t- the start of the millennium.
2: Yeah, and luckily uh, that uh, that uh, beautiful tradition has been continued by Hasbro because uh, the the couple last of historical uh, websites I used to refer uh, when I talked about HeroQuest were accessed just before uh, the pool's campaign. Uh, I'm sad about that because uh, I. Don't even remember the names of uh, some of them uh, because I had uh, the bookmark and the bookmark was invalid, so it didn't get refreshed. And uh, they are basically uh, hundreds and hundreds of hours of people uh, across the world were just lost to protect the IP. So basically, what we have now is uh, HeroQuest, exactly the same game without the old world references, which is manufactured by Asbro. It has new miniatures and new stuff, which is PVC, and there's a couple of things to say about this. And uh, it's basically a toy, which is also a cool board game.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's very faithful to the original. So, I think, for, for the listener, my own personal connection with HeroQuest comes, like, way after its release because it was bought by my grandparents for my older cousins to play and then i was the grandchild who actually spent my most most time with those grandparents uh, out of all of the grandchildren so i that's why i wanted it is it reminds me of spending time with my grandparents and i'm really happy with the fact that they modernized it but Kept the original look of the box and the art like it's new art but it's the same um scene it's the same scene which and that scene is iconic with the barbarian at the front and all the other characters at the back um and and so when it comes to nostalgia that's i think what's driven so much of this i'll put my hand up and say i bought it for nostalgia but it's not for nostalgia of the game for me. It's for nostalgia of my childhood and family members who are no longer with me. So, that's the same reason I keep Dungeon Quest um around. Uh, I I will say, but that like, I I do think they missed a couple of tricks with this. I like that they kept the original system, but I do think they could have updated. It by including a modern set of rules to just fix some of the most frustrating parts of the game while also having a classic rules book for those people who like I want to play Hero Quest because the best thing about Hero Quest is the rule book. Um, so I, I I feel frustrated that they have didn't touch movement in particular because it's so unbelievably one-sided. Like the heroes move with Monopoly dice and Yeah, it it is. It's like you sit there at the start of your turn and you have a plan. And the fact is that you have to have contingency plans because maybe three of the characters do exactly what the players wanted them to do. And the third one goes, well, I've tripped over my feet and I can move two spaces. So what you were hoping I would do for you, I can't do. And now there's a load of mummies coming our way and I was meant to stop them. Sorry, have fun. So
0: it it will take you five turns to get there instead of one.
1: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. And it kind of encourages this dirtling style of play where you're you, you like, oh, if I've rolled really well, maybe I shouldn't use all of my movement because I don't know if everyone's going to be able to keep up with me. So I wouldn't mind it, a version that removed a bit of the randomness from the movement, maybe by giving them a set move value and then you roll D6 for extra. So you can always be like, well, I know the dwarf moves at least three spaces a turn. So that's my first criticism is I, I think a bit of modernization with an alternative rule set would have be been nice. The same with defense because uh, this game always had a problem of if you played with a, um, a Zargon player who was ruthless, it's the same thing that happens in any kind of one versus many or many versus many like hero type game where the horde picks one target and gangs them and goes, you're, you're done for, you're going to die. And then when that character dies, that player has to sit it out. Descent dealt with this by making characters of conquest value points and they'd respawn and come back in thematically it felt a bit clunky but it worked and so the app if you play co-op doesn't do that it doesn't gang up on one character and i like that i was like that's that's good that it's not like picking the same character for everyone to run at um it's spreading out the attacks a bit that feels softer but against a human player it can be ruthless and and
0: yeah especially since there's a snowball effect to that because with one player less uh, you do uh, one-fourth of your damage less and so uh, as you as the game goes on it can get really you can get into a really tight, tight spot where you yeah. clearly cannot win
1: it compounds onto the movement issue that like if you roll badly and out of position then suddenly the wizard can get janked by someone who goes you what have how much body right you're dead right now you're dead this turn forget about it and the you know that's like that sucks
0: which... can you go buy some uh, some
1: pizza we'll
0: be there for a while <laughs> yeah
1: yeah um so i also very briefly want to say why does the elf have boob plate I'm okay with the female elf, and I like the fae design with the long hair and the like, very attractiveness. Because in the male version, it's just the same, very anime looking and like unearthful. But why does the female version have to have a boob plate? Boob plate's useless. They, you, you have to. Well, she, she goes every morning. She goes right. Well, I'm going to pour one of my breasts into the left cup and one of my breasts into the right cup. No, she's an elf she's like why she's obviously even if she had very large breasts they'd be bound and then leather on top and chainmail on top of that there's just empty air inside those cups so no more boob paint plate in fantasy games artists designers don't do it although now i've criticized i'll say thank you for giving us female versions of all the core characters and thank you for the additional characters they're really cool yeah That's a
0: a good addition to to the game, to modernize it a little bit.
1: Yeah,
2: that was basically the best thing about HeroQuest, is the mythic tier box. Definitely everything cool about the, the new release is in the box. You have three new heroes. You have the Bard, the Warlock, and the Druid. I played briefly with all of them because I'm playing with the kids. Uh, perpetuating the tradition of playing Hero Quest with Your Dead. And, uh, and yes, the heroes are all feasible. They make the game probably simpler because I remember as a kid to die basically all the time in all the quests in
1: a, as the dwarf because uh, the, the game was simply like that. Uh, you roll
2: bad, uh, you die.
1: That, that and the dwarf is like the bottom rung of like all the characters. What does the dwarf do? Well, he's a bad barbarian, or he's like the elf, but he can't cast spells. It, it's, a, it's, a barba- it's a barbarian which uh, survives
2: after the first mind damage. That's the, uh, the, only, <laughs> the only usefulness of the dwarf. So <laughs> actually replacing the dwarf with a warlock uh, is a lot of an asset. Uh, replacing the dwarf with the bard is a lot, because uh, you have a lot of new healing, you have a lot of new options, the spells are all cool, and uh, the warlock, I think, could be OP, but basically we are still talking about the toy, because it's a toy which is also a board game, Mm. so uh, it's not that important to be balanced about that. Uh, The the important part is that the game has to be fun.
1: Yeah. Yeah yeah i was gonna say the the three new characters highlight something um particularly like important about my comments on modernizing the game that they're, they're all clearly modern designs because every single one of them um has a spell that can get refreshed the yeah, bard exactly. the bard has like here you get some additional like uh attack dice i think it is courage and that's a really cool spell it's uh, but then whenever anyone rolls two white shields in defense, the, and he, if he sees them do that, it refreshes a spell. And the druid has a shapeshift spell that makes her tougher until she's injured, and then I think whenever she heals back up to full, that spell refreshes. And there's one for the warlock, I can't remember what the warlock does, but all of them, I was like, these are really cool, and these characters feel way more powerful than the core game ones. Yeah, they, they do, and you can swap them in and
2: out, and we will probably talk about this because uh, there's, the app is not the best thing about the Euroquest. Mm. <laughs> we will yep. talk about it in a, in a moment. Because we I, will do. Yeah, I also want to say that the extra miniatures are,
1: are pretty much unneeded
2: because you have a lot... Uh, How
1: very dare you? There's Lady Dark Warriors in there and they don't <laughs> have individual breast pockets. No, I, I dare to say
2: that I don't need the second Gargoyle.
1: I do. Uh, that Gargoyle's for Kellar's Keep. That's a specific named Gargoyle, just like yeah. the other one is, is the Witch King or Witch Queen. I can't remember, there's, there's a Witch specific God. Witch Lord. Yeah, so they're specific, which is cool. They did like specific models for those. But I think you've forgotten that you two can also play, thanks to the Mythic tier, as Mentor. And be like, why yeah. is Mentor every yeah. bit as bad as the starting Wizard? Wh- have- what? Yeah, yeah. You have you have three Wizard models, and you don't even have enough cards to play three Wizards. I was like, it'd be kind of funny to to roll three Wizards and just be like, well, we've got uh, we've got like all these spells, and that's it. Could we have a Barbarian in front to take all the hits, please? Thank you very much. <laughs> um, yeah. So it's a bit like, all right. But that reminds me of one of the things that really frustrated me. Is the equipment cards make no sense okay Okay. so so you have you have a deck of equipment cards and they're very clean and they're clear and the whole point is they're meant to be a reference you write in your character sheet what you have and then you have the card as a reference but There's not one of each card. Sometimes there's one card, sometimes there's two, sometimes there's three. There's like two daggers, um, there's three helmets, and there's one short sword. And both the dwarf and the elf start with (laughs) a short sword. Now, in the British version that came out, the characters didn't have weapons to start. They just had like their base attack stat, and it was assumed that they already had the weapon. But this is based on the American version. So I'm just like, couldn't you have given either like one of each? And just be like, okay, you copy them and write what you need on your character sheet. or given four of each, so players could have their cards representing. This kind of half-assed sort of thing is like, I, I, I very annoying because I wasted ten minutes at the start when I first opened it up, going, well, I've got the elf and I've got the dwarf, and there's only one short sword card. Why is there only one short sword card? <laughs> I was just like, so I, so I ended up throwing the dwarf to one side and going, okay, well, I'm going to play with a warlock. Oh, she needs a dagger. Oh no, that's the same problem. No, wait a minute, there's a second dagger card. Brilliant. <laughs> that makes sense. Um so
2: anyway, yeah. the really cool part about the Mythic Tear pledge is the is the new quest lines. You have three booklets of stuff and they are pretty good. I actually I'm kind of cheating here because I just began checking the Prophecy of Teller. And I had a quick glimpse of the book from Joe Manganiello, because I keep forgetting that Joe Manganiello is actually very, very legit. He's a lot of stuff. He's a, he's a, he's a good master. <laughs> it's a classic clock and dungeon adventure, but it begins in a tavern and it ends in a dragon slayer. So it's super good. And it's cool stuff. It looks uh, from the looks of it. It appears extremely difficult because I saw a kind of a number of monsters on the latest pages uh, which are alarming and uh, all these three quest lines uh, justify buying the Mythic tier because you are an ancient player of EuroroQut or you already played everything uh, you played expansions you get the new play just for nostalgia. Yeah, not just that, you
1: can also
2: play
1: three new quest lines. Yeah, well it's not hero quest if you don't have one quest line that's like, how do we even get anywhere? These monsters are too hard. It used to be against the Ogre Horde, where it was yeah. absurd, but the uh <laughs>
2: expansion,
1: yes. Yeah, yeah, yes. The the one that uh, that when my grandparents passed away he got thrown out and is mouldering in a trash pile somewhere out in the UK. So how about that, eh? That's fun, considering how much yeah. those things sell for. Uh, so, yeah. it's um, I haven't played them yet, and I've like not wanted to look at them for not wanting to spoil them if I do decide I want to play them. Um, but I do think it's nice that there's extra quests. I noticed they're not on the app, and they're not yeah. not listed yeah. as coming soon. There's no
2: Mythic Tier stuff in the app, and there's no expansion. It, there, there is. The characters are yeah. in the app. Yeah. Which is weird. Yes. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to say as well, uh, because we, we are a bit short on time, I think the storage situation with Hero Quest is, is terrible. Yeah, uh, it is bo- it's both good and bad at the same time, but it leans on. The- and I, I, I'm i surprised you found something good about it because like, they have this extra large box with a cardboard lift in it and I was like, cool, that's room for the mythic tier and then you put the mythic tier in and you put the other two trays on top and now the box doesn't close properly and I was like, well, exactly. what, am I, what am I supposed to do? Uh, if I take the mythic tier stuff out of the insert out, out of the cardboard box it comes in and put it in the bottom or on the top it rattles around um, I was frustrated that the inserts are so tight that the individual pieces um that like there's a chance of breaking them when they come out that was frustrating to me That's yeah quite
0: frustrating indeed the Yeah react.
1: they're really tight In, in the original
0: Eagle Crest wasn't um like all of the the scenery uh like cardboard and now it's all yeah. plastic It is yeah. it is
2: That's the bad part the furnishing was part cardboard and part plastic like the scent is now Uh, but the new version is just PVC, and an endless horde of PVC, which is, I I think, it's pretty unneeded. So uh, that's basically it. That's, uh, uh, you have, mm, the the box is uh, a lot larger than the original box. So you'd say, but well, at least I can put everything in it Actually not, if you want to keep the separator, the, the extrusion, uh, which keeps the miniatures in place, which is kind of cool, you have to leave the expansion box outside of the main box. So yeah, th- that's the terrible part. The good part is the fact that the miniatures, uh, differently from the original hero they stay in place in this box.
1: Yeah, yeah the models are definitely one of the, the good things but uh, I, I uh, mine some of mine were very badly damaged when they arrived so that's fine.
2: Yeah,
1: I had the, the
2: the bottom box was basically destroyed. I just uh, glued it to the the cardboard uh, the mini box that was inside to keep it in the same shape as it used to have. Hmm. Uh, I'm using that uh, that way.
1: Yeah. Speaking of, um, I don't know if this happened to you, uh, but I was, I was, I think it's both good and bad the way they they sealed the boxes. They didn't shrink wrap them. Yeah. good. But they, they used the stickers, one on each side, which is great, but you cannot remove these stickers from the box because they will tear off the print, yeah, yeah. Which is like, the speakers, yeah, yeah, you just have to cut the stickers, and forever these little stickers will hang off the edge, and it's really tempting to try and peel them, and you <laughs> can't. A bit less stick would have be been nice. Um, I, I luckily I tested it on my Mythic box, and that destroyed the side of the Mythic box, and that's not too important because I'm keeping the Mythic box inside the Core box. Um, yeah, but yeah. Um, I I think that that like this game is very much. It's a nostalgia thing. It owes its success to a bunch of Generation X and Millennials who grew up with it. And are like, oh my god, I get a chance to have this again because the outer print stuff is, is so expensive. It's bonkers yep. how much you have to pay for all the bits and pieces. Isn't there an Elf pack that was America only that's absolutely insanely overpriced?
2: Yeah, Elf and Warrior pack were insanely overpriced. And they are US-only. The the ogre horde the, against the ogre horde he, instead is uh, European only. It's kind of overpriced, but since it makes use of the equipment cards, which in the US version were just a table uh, printed on a sheet, they basically uh, aren't as pricey as the as the barbarian and the Pack. So, uh, basically, this it. uh, there's one thing left to say, which is the app. Uh, There's an app for HeroQuest. It's uh, an app which uh, allows you to play completely cooperative, because it plays the role of Borkar, or Zargon, as as kids these days want to say. (laughs) It's the US name. (laughs) And uh, it basically leaves you with four players, which can be who can be for heroes and play the adventures. Uh, I have to say one good thing about the app before we dissect it, and it's that uh, apparently I always, uh, I, I like played this game bad for 30 years, which is a record in itself, because when the dungeon gets set up, you have only sight to where your heroes can see while I used to uh, prepare the dungeon until all closed doors. Yeah. So, so basically, I, I I used the app to, to understand that I was playing it wrong for <laughs> Since forever, yeah. basically.
1: Yeah. Yeah. The, the, I like the existence of the app because actually playing this solo or two player removes a lot of the frustration. Um, And as I mentioned earlier, I think the actual AI on the app does a good job of being fair with how it uh, attacks and targets. Um,
2: Yeah. I had a
1: few problems with the app. One of them, I think everyone will probably agree with is that Zargon's voice acting, which is pretty fun, (laughs) grates on you very quickly. Um, You end up muting the app, but that's fine. Um, Yeah.
2: And the music,
1: the music is kind of bad. It is kind of bad, yeah. Um I had the game soft lock on me several times. Um in fact the very first time we played it we got everyone out of the dungeon and the game sat there as this chaos warrior uh, sorry, dark warrior dirdled about, <laughs> unsure what to do, and I couldn't close um the the quest. I had to force close the app. Um and that happened a few other times.
2: Which facts
1: it never happened to me. But the the thing I have
2: to say about the app is that uh, it does a lot of unnecessary things, and it's not clear that you can go without doing that. For instance, uh, it's useless that you declare the action except uh, uh, searching for uh, doors or uh, searching for uh, treasure. Oh, well...
1: I was going to say, it's not entirely useless, because sometimes when you cast spells, it'll roll the defense for the monster automatically. We discovered that, and I was like, but we've already rolled defense for the monster on this particular spell. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's cool. cool. Uh, It's not necessary, because you can play that part, of course. Yeah, yeah. It's just weird how suddenly it goes, I'm going to, like, it automates, for us at least, the automated monster attacking, but not their defense. And we were like, okay. Yeah. Yeah. um maybe automate all of the monster stuff or let players roll all of it i don't know um yeah. uh i i did i did like i i had frustrating times with it but i think the existence of the app is great to actually let you know the experience of being a player against yeah. somebody who's not really mean yeah for for instance we are foreign
2: family and the the app was a lifesaver uh, the, there are a lot of frustrating th- things about the app. I never had it soft lock, but for instance, uh, there's not a proper version for tablets on Android right now. Uh, only a few tab- tablets are supported. Uh, as a programmer, I think uh, this is a problem with layout of the, of the pixel density of the screens. But anyway, you cannot play on tablet, so you are forced to play on
1: phone. And it's terrible on phone. Yeah. It's it's, too small. It's
2: it's portrait only, which is uh, very, very weird.
1: It's a landscape board, for goodness sake. Why is it in portrait only? (laughs) Yeah, so
2: it looks like uh, someone at Hasbro saw the app for the stand. They saw, hey, I want this, but I don't want to spend a lot on it.
1: So that... Can you give me this, but make it really, really cheap?
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. and uh, as a programmer myself, I cannot condone this uh, mm. approach.
1: <laughs> yep. Um. Speaking of things that condoning and con- and and commending. Um. I, I just need to touch back. I really appreciated the removal of the Famir from this game. Um, Games <laughs> Workshop have distanced themselves from Famir for a good reason, because the old Famir were very unpleasant. There are, were a bunch of hive creatures that reproduced by abducting uh, females from other species. We're not going to go into any more detail than that. Yeah. They're gone because they're a specific IP to Games Workshop. They're replaced by Abominations, which look like Deep Ones from Cthulhu, and that's got yeah. its own problems, but at least they're not for Mia. Uh, did, I did appreciate that, um, and it's it's, it's a good change. I do think turning Chaos Warriors into Dark Warriors is a bit dread laughable. Wars. Dread yeah. Warriors. Chaos, Chaos is Dread. Generic Warriors. Bad Man Knight.
2: Yeah.
1: Yes. <laughs> yes. E- evil Plate Mail. I don't know. They could have made them animated suits or something.
2: But, yeah, yeah. The, the, the gargoyle is still the gargoyle yeah. because it was the blood the uh, in disguise. It was mm-hmm. basically the, the first uh, the first attempt at making the blood Tearster miniature it was there is a, a very rare pewter alternate version of the gargoyle which was the, actually the first draft of the Blood Tearster Mini. It was for Warhammer Fantasy Battle fifth edition. And uh, if you are curious about that, uh, the scale of the original HeroQuest was actually the scale of the original Warhammer Fantasy Battles.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they—they, they, I do. I have seen some pictures of them, and they are quite small.
2: Yeah, th- that's actually the reason why I don't have my Euroquest, my original Quest miniatures anymore, because I dismembered those to play with Warhammer Fantasy Battles. And I actually regret it every day of my
1: life. I'm sure there's a lot of people who did similar stuff.
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And well. Basically, that's it. Uh, that's HeroQuest.
2: Quest. It's a beautiful toy you can play for nostalgia. It's a beautiful toy you can play for fun with kids, with your family. There is a bit of new stuff. There is something you can play. For historical reason, and it's a thing which is one and done. Uh, actually, if you follow Twitter account of Zargon, it looks like they will expand it uh, a bit more. But yeah, but, yeah,
1: I, I... play, we'll see. I, I, I can't see why they wouldn't. They've had such a big success. They've had people saying, "Hoy, look, get this into retail. You know what? I, 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 I wouldn't even care if they put it all out and they put the Mythic Box contents out and everything. Just get it out there because I hate these games that get very valuable for no reason other than they just not in, in print. Yeah. If people want them, and you've got the capability to make them, make them again. Give us against the ogre horde. Make us like groan about how terribly overpowered the ogres are. Give us wizards of Mordkar or wizards of Zargon, just a whole lot. And give us, give us the little goblin who's hanging the poster of the barbarian up on the wall. <laughs> give us all of that. That's a Twitter reference. Um, yeah. Yep. <laughs> so it's it, it, it's it's not a good game, but I'm very happy that it's back. Yeah. It's also so kind of fun. So Yeah, okay. <laughs> I, I was going uh, to say, to be more precise, it is a bad game that is very fun and engaging.
2: Yeah, exactly.
1: To, yes, so you'll have a good time playing it as long as you're cool with how it goes. Uh, yes. Yeah, and if nothing else, you can have an immensely joy, enjoyable time going on Twitter and tweeting at Zargon. And yeah. seeing what you can provoke from Zargon himself. <laughs> uh, and with the mocking voice of Zargon ringing in our ears, that's all we have for time for in this episode. So thank you for listening to The Last Standee in 2022. You can catch us over at www.patreon.com forward slash TheLastStandee. Or you can follow us as La- The Last standy on Twitter. Or you can subscribe using your preferred podcast app. So it's goodbye from Alexis. From Belgium. Goodbye goodbye from Alessio Uh, bye and myself and remember the second E in stand E is for escapism